0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Susan Freeman with us today, all the way from Florida. Now, Susan is an executive coach, author, and speaker who's had an executive search career for a pretty long time before she decided to go into consulting and start with what she does today, which is exec coaching, team coaching, and working with execs to take that next step in their careers. So welcome, Susan.
1: Hello. It's lovely to be here. Um, just go ahead.
0: Um, now, I just want to ask you uh, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. Um, so what specifically do you want to know? What area is most interesting to start with?
0: Well, what would you like to tell us about? You know, how did you get to where we, uh, where you are? Yeah. You know, what, what's yeah. the culmination yeah. of it?
1: Yeah. So like, uh, as with, I think many people who don't know exactly what they're going to be when they're young, um, I was really open to what opportunities uh, showed up for me, given my natural inclinations and abilities. And so um, I, after college, I thought I wanted to do international business. Um, I went to Columbia University in New York City. I got an MBA and then went to work on Madison Avenue in New York, working with some of the world's largest uh, packaged goods companies, both in New York and London, learning the principles of um, solid business strategy, particularly around marketing strategy and communication strategy. And that has stood me in excellent stead throughout my career. And um, I worked on several of the world's biggest brands, Procter & Gamble and General Foods, um, uh, to name a few, and Pillsbury. And after seven years there, my husband and I moved to Florida, uh, where I was invited to become the founding executive director of a not-for-profit. I had done quite a bit of work um, volunteering in New York City. And this particular organization, um, they seemed to believe that I had good qualifications for. And um, I took this uh, organization, which was designed to increase business investment in the arts uh, as part of a national affiliate founded by David Rockefeller in the 1960s. We were the only Florida organization uh, in the state. So there were 11 of us in the United States uh, who were building these uh, sort of community infrastructure programs to increase business investment in the arts. And I helped build the one in in Tampa. And we started with 11 member companies and we grew that over the time I was there to over 80. And we were able to put together the first partners in the arts award program for 450 people to recognize business and business leaders who created um, uh, exciting innovative programs. We also created the first economic impact study of the arts in Tampa Bay that was written up in the Florida Wall Street Journal And we created a business leadership development program with the university uh, to promote and develop business leadership and place them in boards of arts and cultural organizations. So as with any typical entrepreneur at about seven years, I got a bit itchy because I realized I um, I wasn't a maintainer. You know, I was a builder. I'm a visionary. I'm able to manifest things out of nowhere and create the strategies and platforms and get them going but I don't much like maintenance. So I learned that about myself as I look backwards. And so in about seven years I got a bit itchy and I decided to sort of prune off the things that I loved best about the work I was doing and do it for myself. So I started my own consulting company and I was doing strategic planning, facilitation, um, off-sites for organizations um, locally. And after a little bit of doing that on my own, I was recruited by a um, retained executive search firm who thought that I would be the ideal candidate to help them build out a company that they were creating, uh, and I was the third employee. So I was hired to be a vice president, and eventually, I think I have sort of headed up their marketing function as well, uh, and grew that organization over the next seven years. And we specialized in searches at the VP, SVP, and C-level. And this was at the height of the dot-com boom, so I learned so much, and I loved executive search. And then what happened at about year seven was I got a call from a headhunter in in another state saying that they had me in mind for a position to be head of this particular enterprise in the state of Florida and was I interested. And I I looked at it and and I decided I should probably at least consider it uh, because the partner with whom I was working was getting older and was getting ready to retire. So it made sense that I would, you know, consider a new opportunity like that. And then I remember Uh, You know, making it all the way through, they flew me to Toronto. I had seven interviews uh, and I was offered the position. And when the EVP contacted me to get my answer, he said, You know, I've got numbers to make. I need your answer now. And I said, No. Mm. And that was the beginning of a really dark night of the soul because I turned down a job that was the next logical step in my career for quite a bit of of opportunity, compensation, et cetera. And I had no idea, Raj, what I was going to do, but I didn't want that. So then I had to figure it out and I did. And so the process of figuring it out, I hired a coach. And that is when I learned that what I was really meant to be doing in this next stage, the next seven years, was um, to become an executive coach, which really was the culmination of all of my other experiences uh, and, you know, to create something unique um, uh, on, you know, on my own through that lens.
0: That's so awesome, the story that you just said. You know, one of the things, takeaways from there that I'd like to talk about is this learning about oneself, you know, mm. that, that happens during living your life. A lot of people think they can, put a plan together, cut a plan, and then go and follow the plan. That's not how it happens. You know, you you don't know a lot about yourself and you learn about it as you make, as you take those incremental steps. Don't you agree on that?
1: I do agree. And that has been my experience. And I think uh, with many entrepreneurs, and builders of business, that is a typical path. I do, however, know that there are others who have known from the time they were young exactly what they wanted to be, and they cut on the dotted line and followed the steps. Mm-hmm. So I think the world does consist of, of different types of people and we're we're wired differently. Um, I am of the mind that um, my internal direction always made sense to me if it didn't make sense to other people. I didn't really much care whether other people could make sense of my career moves. And at the time I was doing them, I loved every role that I've ever had. I never wanted to be anywhere other than where I was when I was there. But when I was done, I was done. I didn't always have a plan of where to go next. What I did know, though, is that a person who is curious and a learner and open and willing to try something new and and different and explore possibilities and conversations with people can find their way. And by the time I discovered that I wanted to be a coach, it was it was probably six to 12 months of, I will say, absolute darkness for me. I mean, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I mean, I was a vice president in an executive search firm, and I would go out and people would say, so what are you doing? And I would look at them and say, I have no idea. That felt pretty scary to be kind of unhinged professionally to a, a path or a direction. And I remember just reaching out to people in my network and going out to breakfast and going out to lunches and going out to coffees and like asking them questions and reading books. And I remember one person in particular in a women's leadership network that I belong to, I, w- I went out to breakfast with her and I said, I really don't have any idea. And she said, I think you want to read this book by this professor at MIT. It's called Presence by, by Peter Senge. Mm-hmm. And she said, I just have a sense that you should read that book. So I got the book and I read it. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And I knew that now I just had to figure out how to get myself from where I was to that. So things opened up because I was willing to go and put myself out there and be vulnerable. And I think that your listeners can really lean into that experience for themselves. Like don't think that you have to have it all figured out. That's just not, that's not the way it is for most people.
0: So let me ask you this, you know, since you've been in the executive search space, you know, and and, uh, you probably have a better idea, but then when there's a search going on, there's a job description put together. And the expectation is to find somebody who fits in this particular square, this set of skills and this is true of any mid-level position or even probably exec level positions. Yeah. And when, you, when you're when you actually talking to probable candidates, what I have noticed and what my experience has been, has been that you know, exec recruiters are basically trying to fit you into that box, which is a very difficult thing. People come with a myriad, a myriad number of skills. People come with so much more than what, uh, what's expected of the job. And yet the, the goal is to fit into that box. Tell me from your perspective, from an exec search perspective, is that true? Or is that me misreading it? What do you think it is?
1: Oh, I so appreciate the, the question. It's one of the biggest frustrations I had uh, that I still have. And you know, with my clients who are looking to hire, you know, people that they need to bring in, because there is this attachment to experience, mm-hmm. and I think it's very dangerous. When I was in executive search, our unique selling proposition was that we recruited A talent. By A, we mean people who are in the top ten percent of all potential candidates for a role. Now that doesn't mean that they checked all the boxes for experience. Many times I would invite my clients to consider candidates who didn't check all the boxes. And I would say to them, I know this person is a little bit sort of out of the ordinary. They don't check all the boxes that candidate A does. But candidate B is worth taking a look at. And here's why. Because this person has what you just described a myriad of other experiences that are valuable and interesting and more importantly, they show up as an A talent. So it's more important that the person have raw talent and innate curiosity and be a quick learner than that they check every box on experience. Because many times people who do that are not A's, they're experienced and they're not A's. And mm-hmm. those people will never deliver as much value for an employer as a talented person who has potentially skipped some steps, but brings these other qualities to the, to the work.
0: You know, your experience during that time, what do you think was your biggest takeaway? What did you learn from your time du- during exec search? And in terms of today where, you know, work as we knew it is changing, pretty rapidly that too, with remote work and hybrid work and all that. What, what's your take on that? Uh, is that a good thing, a bad thing, neutral? What is it?
1: Well, there's a lot of questions in there. right? Uh, really the issue of executive search and what were, the, what were my key takeaways? Let's talk, start with that one first. Um, first of all, I learned to look at every human being at the core. to to really get to know my candidates well required a lot of time and deep conversational listening skills. So paying attention to the human being and to what that individual human being has to offer that makes them distinctive and unique. Then the second thing that I think many um, employers and interviewers don't do well is they do not have sophisticated recruiting practices. They lack the capacity to interview effectively. And that is the most important thing. They go for all the bells and whistles. Oh, do I like this person? Do we have good chemistry, right? They, they often want to sort of run down the aisle and get married. If they feel chemistry with a person, like, oh, that's the one, that's the one. And I cannot tell you how many people get blindsided when they don't actually do the homework to find mm-hmm. out, is, is that really the one? And by doing good reference checks, you can find out how did this person show up? How did they do with their previous employers? What do their references say about them? What do they not say about them? See, You can't just hire someone based on your own gut instinct. It never turns out well. And one one of the things that I do for my executive clients now is, Uh, Because so many of them have had challenges around recruiting, uh, I put together a presentation called The Seven Principles of Successful Recruiting to teach them the skills of how to do what only a few people in the executive search arena really know how to do well. So that's one of the things I think people need to learn. How to interview well, how to ask thoughtful, open-ended questions, how to do good reference checks, and how not to fall in love with experience from a resume.
0: Awesome. And then what about uh, the changing dynamics of uh, work as we know it?
1: Well, that's a whole new topic. Yeah. So the changing dynamics of work as as we know it, I've been writing a lot about this lately. In fact, I had an article that was just published last week in Thrive Global on the future of work and my top five things for the future of work. Uh, And you can see that if you go to uh, Thrive Global or if you go to either of my websites at SusanSFriedman.com or GuruleaderWithin.com. I do predict that hybrid work is here to stay and that the workplace that will be able to win the war for talent is a workplace that is going to be humanistically focused. What do I mean by that? I mean that the old model of work where everybody has to be sitting in an office in a chair at a desk during the same hours with someone walking by and making sure that they're actually doing what they are hired to do. I think that those days are few and far between. Uh, I think that the uh, pandemic has weaned people off of that over-reliance upon management by m- micromanagement, right? Now we're in the information age where we set OKRs, you know, we look at objectives and key results, we look at what are people responsible for producing, for accomplishing, for contributing, and we measure their output, we measure their results. We don't measure the number of hours that they're working or where they're working from or when they're working, right? It's important that people be in the 21st century given the flexibility to manage The complexity of 21st century life which doesn't lend itself to the era the industrial era of the 19th century which is when most of these workplace policies were instituted and we've outgrown them and i think one of the blessings of the pandemic and there have been so many misfortunate things that have happened but there are some silver linings to the clouds of the pandemic and one of them is is that people are saying this doesn't work for me I wanna create a different relationship to my work. I deserve to be productive, happy, and well as an employee. And employers that get that and can create and maintain these cultures uh, are gonna be the ones who win the war for talent. So we can have these conversations now that we weren't having before the pandemic. And I think that's a good thing.
0: That's so true. In terms of the companies that you have, can you talk to us a little bit about both of your companies?
1: Yeah, so I, I just have one company. It's it's my coaching company, which is Susan freeman.com Okay. Uh, ww.susan And I offer uh, executive coaching, team coaching, um, and facilitation of um offsites, strategic offsites, um business planning offsites, etc. Um, most recently I've completed a uh, an advanced uh, practitioner certification from the Global Team Coaching Institute in the relatively new field of team coaching. And the reason I'm very excited about this program and my my completion of this certification is that I now have the ability to practice working with complex adaptive systems, which is what most organizations are. Most organizations consist of teams that are nested within a system that are nested within a bigger system. And so team coaching takes into consideration the complexity of the world in which most teams are functioning and looks at and considers the role of all of the stakeholders in helping the business accomplish its objectives and goals. And so we bring all of those voices into the the room. We also work with psychological safety, making sure that the teams have and maintain psychological safety and that they are able to collaborate and trust one another that allow them to create breakthrough innovative types of performance because they are functioning as a system that is aware of itself, not a system that is reactive and firefighting and infighting and backbiting and what we see so often, right? So that's where where we're focusing. And those of us who are in this domain are really energized and excited. It's a very big field in Europe it's much more advanced in Europe than it is in the States right now. And, and there are some of us who are hoping to change that and really bring this more into the into the uh, North American um, uh, business arena.
0: All right. And uh, in terms of uh, your clientele and um, you know, your sales and business development, how do yeah, you go about that?
1: Yeah. yeah, my clients are typically, my sweet spot is founders, presidents, and CEOs of high growth entrepreneurial companies who are wanting to scale and or potentially eventually sale. So I get called in from time to time by investors, private equity groups, organizations where they're very ambitious growth goals, sometimes doubling a company within three years or five years timeframe, which requires a huge amount of cultural and leadership strength to be in place for that to happen successfully and most organizations of that size do not have that when I am brought in. So I'm sort of like an outsourced HR department for many of my clients. I don't handle HR but for many of them I am sort of the person who helps sort of facilitate the things that in a large organization perhaps in a sophisticated large corporation they may have Uh, groups within HR that might do organizational development and executive coaching, my clients don't have that. I also coach people in career transition. I also coach people who have been newly promoted into senior executive positions. Um, Many times I'll coach newly promoted CEOs, people who've come from a functional area as an SVP or an EVP, and now they're a CEO and they don't really know what's the difference between what I was doing and what I need to be doing now help me land on my feet, right? So that I can make the most of the first six to 12 months uh, in in my new role.
0: Tell us about your book, the book that uh, you authored.
1: So my book, uh, the one that is in the market now is called Step Up Now, 21 Powerful Principles for People Who Influence Others. And it is a book that I wrote for my clients at the time who were super busy uh, overloaded entrepreneurs who I knew weren't going to read a treatise on leadership. So I wanted to give them the essence of what I saw were the 21 most important principles for them to grasp so that they could grow and develop themselves. And the book is very, very straightforward. And I have action guide that's also available in the book, where you have some specific questions that you can work through and develop for yourself to apply those principles uh, in your own work. I also have authored over 550 or 600 articles and blogs that are based on a lot of the principles of the book and on the learning that my clients have shared with me about their leadership journeys. And I've encapsulated those into sort of, you know little small nuggets that I can share with people uh, from wherever they are. And you can subscribe for that uh, through my website, uh, uh, at www.susansfreeman.com, and you can have access to those blogs, and also on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. And where can people find the book?
1: It's on Amazon, and they can get it right from my website. There's a link directly to Amazon and to Kindle, directly right. from my website.
0: Awesome. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story, your experiences, and what you have set out to do with such an inspiring career behind you.
1: Thank you, Raj.
0: Any takeaway for the listeners that you'd like to share before I let you go?
1: I think the most important thing that I can share with folks is that when we are fully present in our own selves as leaders, when we are fully integrated as human beings and then we go out to have conversations and create relationships with others we bring our best selves uh, and we bring out the best in the people with whom we're working and my next book is about how to do that and look for that in 2022
0: awesome thank you so much
1: thank you